Hello everyone and welcome back to Sabbath School from Home, an increasingly fraught podcast recording that finds it harder and harder to, to fit into the lives of, of us who try and record it. But it's something that we do because we enjoy it, but also uh, because there seems to be some value in it. I've remarked to a few friends there seems to be some validity in referring to the spiritual gift, uh, the spiritual discipline, I mean, of the record button. There's something as a discipline about doing this that uh, works even better, I think, than if we were to just make time to chat as friends. So I'm really glad to be here. My name's Lachlan. And I'm Luke. Well, I referred to life being busy. I was commenting to some students in a lecture this week that I had literally, that day on Thursday, I literally had more hours of classroom contact time with students than I had had hours of sleep the night before. So <laughs> that's where my life is. Um, Luke, I assume that you're also suffering under under a relentless onslaught of tasks and activities? Yes, although not so much from students in my case and more from one five-year-old child. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the way it is. So what we've got to do today is uh, read through the first half of Ephesians chapter 4. And my suspicion is proving correct. We really are progressing systematically through the book of Ephesians. So why don't we jump right in? We're going to be reading Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to read the first 16 verses. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us grace has been given as Christ appointed it. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Yeah, that's really good. The, the lesson asks us to read on to verse 16. I'll read the last couple of verses here. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Now, there's a couple of things uh, that I want to focus our attention on. But just before I get there, Luke, does anything jump out at you as you read through it? Well, it, it's my predisposition to notice these sort of things. But ver verse 12, this is the purpose of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, is to equip people for works of service mm. so that the body of Christ may be built up. The body of Christ, typically we take it to mean the church, is built by works of service. Yeah, I like that. That's a great. That's a great insight. Yeah, I, I, it just reminds me of a, 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 an anecdote I, I once had, uh, once heard, um, which was that in in a certain country um, there was a, a natural disaster, um, and Adra came in and, and responded to that disaster um, 
with humanitarian work. So that is to say, simply going in and meeting people's needs, um, helping people who've been affected by the disaster, all, all the rest of that sort of stuff. A- as a result of that, um, the, the local government, um, after, after everything was done, came to the leaders of the Adventist church and said, um, we, we want you to have a church in our town and we want to give you land to build that church. Um, and it I, I just makes me sort of think, well, if, if we'd gone in and said, oh, we'll help people, but in return you have to give us land for a church, the answer would have been absolutely no. And, and rightly so. It would have been very wrong to do that sort of thing. Um, but doing things, it seems to me, in the right order with the right motivation and, you know, as the verse says, works of service, uh, that's what yield results. Yeah, that's, that's, a really, that's a really good perspective. I think often we do actually come unstuck a little bit, don't we, by being so focused on um, trying to make it a deal, trying to make it a trade, that we actually end up shortchanging the, 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 the loving, the gift, the, the works that we're trying to do. Yeah, I mean, I think it's... Yeah, I, I don't want to say too much of it that might come... Might, might, might be judgmental or critical of what the way other people are serving God, because um, I, I I don't like to do that. You know, the verse um, Jesus says, you know, if they're not for us, if they're not against us, they're for us, um, is one that really stuck in my mind. Where it's just like, well, if other people are doing something, even if it's not something I would do, um, even if I don't really even agree with their methods or their priorities or whatever. Um, but if they're trying to do the right thing, um, not only should I not get in their way, uh, but I shouldn't criticize them for it either. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm trying to avoid coming at the topic in a way that does that, um, which I get the only thing I can emphasize is that f- for me, um, certainly serving others, meeting the needs of others without any other sort of motivation is the only way for me personally um, to, to be a Christian. I, I'm not called to, to, to do it in, in a different way. Um, (laughs) and, uh, but I do, I do find myself wishing because I work, you know, for a human, the humanitarian arm of the church. Um, I do find myself wishing that more church members supported, and there are lots of church members who do, um, but supported and understood why serving others with no motive other than their well-being in mind mm. is such a vitally important part of the the work of the kingdom of God. Yeah, I think you've expressed that really well. Uh, it makes me think of the verses that you read here at the start of the chapter, verse 2 and 3, always be humble and gentle, be patient with each other. Um, making every effort to keep yourself united. You know, your, your comment that it's, um, we, we've got to be honest with ourselves. We've got to be patient with each other. Uh, and this is, <laughs> this is what we're called to do. Um, I wanted to, the, the lesson made a few interesting highlights that, that I thought were quite valuable. So the first one was in verse four and five and six. It identifies here, I think it's seven ones, uh, one body, one spirit, just as you've been called in one hope. So that's three. Um, 
Then there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. That takes us up to six. And then the seventh one that caps us off is a bit more expanded. One Lord, one God and Father of all, who is over all, mm. in all, and living through all. That's an all. interesting observation. It's I, I, hard to think that that's coincidence. Yeah, indeed. Um, I mean, as... As you count them out like that, you're reminded of things like the creation narrative that have a pattern of six culminating in a in a seventh that contains emphasis um, and, and meaning because of that numbering sequence. So yeah, it's fascinating here, isn't it? The um, the culminating one, the seventh one, is is God and Father of all. Uh, but I mean, along the way, so one body body is a metaphor of the church that's used a few times in the New Testament. And I think has already been used in Ephesians. Um, one spirit is interesting to me because right back in the first episode of this season, we read from the book of Acts to understand a little more about the context of Ephesians. And remember, Paul finds believers, he explains a little more to them than they had previously known and understood, and the spirit comes upon them. Uh, so mm. clearly that's an element, that's, that's an element of their experience and a, a um, you know, something that deserves a little bit of an emphasis here when, when Paul is writing now this letter to them. And then the third one, one glorious hope. I think this is quite interesting um, because these things, I don't know, to me they feel a little bit more emotional and relational rather than being intellectual and doctrinal. Um, you know, it's not a, it's not a list of, of fundamental beliefs as much as it is a kind of just a reminder of of central emphases that should be part of the Christian life. Mm. Well, well, I, I find verse 3 quite relevant to understanding the, how these things are all one. So unity of the Spirit um, through the bond of peace. Well, uh, verse 2 as well for that matter, right? Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love, mm. right? Um, so that, you know... It doesn't say here, um, being a little bit cheeky, uh, it doesn't say here one doctrine. Yes. It doesn't say here one set of fundamental beliefs. Um, it, it does say, you know, one faith and one hope and one baptism and one God and one Lord. Um, those are things, I think, which all Christians have in common. Yeah. You know? Um, but what keeps us in unity with each other it's not that we all think exactly the same thing. Mm. It's not what that's not what these verses say. What keeps us in unity with one another is our efforts to be humble, gentle, patient, and treat each other with love. Hey, your your emphasis there, I like that, and it's actually I'm going to jump down to another thought that the, that the lesson pulled out in um, one of the day's discussions towards the end, and then also pulled out specifically in in one of the discussion questions kind of at the end, on, on the last day of the lesson. Down in verse 14, Luke, uh, what does your translation say? Mine, as I read it, said, we won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. Mm. So I'm just, I'm just looking at the NIV, and it, it's quite sim similar. Although, I think, what's the end of your verse 14? Uh, we will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Ah, yeah, so this doesn't, this doesn't go quite that explicit yeah um this is this is this is what it is in the niv uh then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching 
and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful schemes. <laughs> well, the, the lesson uses refers to the ESV, the English Standard Version, and pulls out this phrase, winds of doctrine. Um, and the reason it jumped out at me is, of course, just, just a few moments ago, you were commenting on the absence of doctrine up there in those opening verses where it was talking about the unity. The thing that was, was bringing unity was the spirit and peace and patience. And I, it just, as you were speaking, it suddenly made me think that I, I feel like the lesson as, the, the question as phrased in the lesson might actually potentially be missing the point slightly. So the question as posed by the lesson was talk about some of the winds of doctrine that are blowing in our church today. Now, it's implying here that there are teachings that are possibly false teachings. Certainly reading verse 14, I get the feeling that the author is referring to something which is there's winds of teaching that are sort of coming and going like a wind and they're influencing people and some of them are being deliberately cunning and, and lying and trying to sound clever and maybe some of them are not so much trying to be deliberately manipulative. They're just being a little bit foolish and immature. And so the question in the lesson, it's, it felt to me, prior to us starting to press record, was that it was sort of looking for, um, you know, could we identify some of these ideas that, that some might be trying to insert into the church today? After what you just said, I actually think the verse 14 is now to be read slightly differently. I, this is my proposal on the fly. If we are grounded in an effort to keep united through peace, through love, through patience with each other, making allowance for each other's faults, if we're going to focus on the seven ones, which are not doctrinal, but are experiential and relational, one spirit, one body, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all, then maybe we could read verse 14 as an admonition reminding us that doctrine itself is perhaps not quite as important as some of those other things. Mm. I, I think you're exactly right. That That is how I would read it in the context of the earlier verses, you know, that teachings come and go and there are fads mm. and things change. Um, and what we need to hold on to is what Paul has already written in this chapter, which is the seven ones. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and, and that other things you know, are not going to be as poor as those. And it, rem it reminds me, and I think we've talked about this on the podcast at various times, um, or maybe we haven't really gone into it, but someone once explained to me that it's very valuable when we are searching for the fundamentals of our faith to differentiate church culture from church theology, mm. right? So the theology is, you know, um, is how we interpret scripture. Yeah. Um, it's it's our beliefs. Culture is how we live them, mm. right? So it's it's what you wear to church. Um, it's it's what you do in church. Yeah. Uh, it's what you do outside of church as well, for that matter, and, and much more so than I think most people, you know, tend to think. Um, culture comes and goes, and culture changes, and culture is not doctrine. Yeah, and it's not faith, and it's it's not scripture right um and it's right that culture changes um and and you know we run into a lot of problems when we confuse culture for for you know fundamental belief yeah right um and and you know those sort of problems take multiple generations to untangle if indeed they ever do get untangled 
Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking um, of I'm thinking of some things that are more trivial in a sense, like as you travel around the world, some Adventists would avoid going to restaurants on Sabbath for food, and some Adventists think nothing of it. That's that's an example of culture as opposed to doctrine. Mm. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the classic one in our part of the world is that um, you know there was a time when everybody wore suits and ties yes. to church, and we went out to many. Uh, various countries, and we taught everybody that the correct thing to do when you go to church is wear suits and ties. <laughs> now, we in Australia have long since stopped holding that sort of standard of of uh, attire. Mm. It's it's still the, the the it's still the culture that you dress nicely to go to church. Um, but uh, suits and ties is not is not a thing anymore unless you want to. Yes, uh, no one's going to judge you for not doing it. But in many parts of the world, yeah. um, where suit and tie is not the native traditional clothing, no, it was something taught you must to them. <laughs> it, it, it was it was it was a colonial import. Uh, you must wear a suit and tie to church. Yeah, um, and that was that was in in retrospect, uh, that was um, a bit of a misunderstanding, I think, on on the part of our otherwise very admirable forefathers, um, that 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 was important, you know, because. It, and, and and permanent, you know, mm. that we would be wearing suits and ties to church until the second coming and beyond for all eternity, yeah. um, because it's 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 um, you know that nobody sat down and thought, well, hey, actually, this is just our culture, yeah, right. This can change. What it expresses, you know, the sort of respect and effort that you put into into being in church. What so respect for God, respect for God's house, mm. that is a more fundamental underlying value. Yeah, and can be expressed in many ways. Ex- yeah, how it's expressed can change and does change and, and will change. You know, what people are wearing to church um, 40 years from now is not going to be the same as what we're wearing now. No, no, no. And and indeed, that example is such a good one because inadvertently, um, you know, by, by placing such an emphasis on this particular kind of, of uh, as you say, colonial attire, really, there was one fundamental aspect of reality that was completely ignored and at times denied, which is simply that the climate in many of these places you describe is so vastly removed from the cold, wet European climates in which suits and ties emerged. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, look, you know, yes, it's ludicrous. Exactly. If, if I tried to wear a suit and tie to a, to a un-air conditioned church in say Bangladesh yeah. in summer, <laughs> I would come out of that building on a stretch. Yeah, I know, I know. And and you know, this is just acknowledging. In that case, it's it's weather and climate. But there are so many other aspects of of the reality of our world and of human experience that that do vary. And that is why cultures are different. Um, yeah. All right. Now I like what you're saying. It's making me look with slightly fresh eyes at this phrase: the winds of change, or winds of doctrine, or every wind of new teaching. Um, as n- like it may be a little bit disparaging describing some of those things that are deliberate malicious lies of cunning trickery, but in fact it's a reasonably valid point of humility to acknowledge about almost all doctrine, um, and it is that w- we need to be uh, we need to be willing in some ways to be open for things to change. This is part of what it means to me to be open to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And I, I want to point out something really, really vital about, uh, it just occurred to me as you're talking about it, because 
I think the lesson is kind of implying and the traditional Adventist reading of this verse is, you know, hold to the old doctrines. New stuff that comes along is, Mm. you know, cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming, right? Yes. That's the assumption. If it's new, it's deceitful scheming, right? So don't be swayed by it. Um, That is poor logic because that is not what verse 14 says. Mm. Verse 14 does not say every new teaching is deceitful. Yes. If a new teaching comes along and it is taught with honest, genuine belief, yeah. right? And a genuine searching for greater understanding of the truth, yeah. which is exactly what the Adventist pioneers were doing. Yes. Then it is, by definition, it is not deceitful scheming. Yeah. Therefore, <laughs> verse 14 does not apply to it. And you're so right to identify the Adventist pioneers, right? I mean, these were people who adopted a whole range of new teachings in their own lives, in their own worlds, um, it would be a fairly poor way to follow in their footsteps if we turned into a people that were unable to accept the idea of thinking new teachings. So so what, what verse 14 says then is, you know, very much not that everything new is wrong, right? It will be that new teachings will come And what we need to do is be able to discern what is honest and what is deceitful. And we can discern it by adhering to the principles laid out in verses 1 through to, 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 well, 13. Yeah, yeah. Uh, That that has a a real um, coherence to it, in my opinion. I think it's a really useful thought. Well, perhaps, perhaps we should we should end. Well, no, we certainly we certainly could end there. There was one last thing that I wanted to mention uh, in this recording, simply because it didn't jump out at me until I read a brief couple of paragraphs in the lesson that did did actually point some attention to it. And I found this was quite interesting. It's in verse eight, and then into verse nine and ten. Verse eight quotes from the Hebrew Scriptures, which is our Old Testament. And it says, when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. So that's a, that's a quote. The Bible I'm looking at suggests that that's a quote from Psalm, Psalm 68, verse 18. Um, and then Paul in verse 9 expands on it and says, notice it says, he ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world. And the interesting mm. point that the lesson points out here is, surely, <laughs> in a way that's backwards, um, Like, you descend before you ascend, if you're thinking of it in terms of God incarnating in the person of Jesus. And if I'm reading the paragraph in the lesson right, it it poses an interesting thought here, which is, what if it literally does meet it backwards? What if, because of the emphasis in the context of the Ephesian church on the coming of the Holy Spirit, on them being filled with the Spirit, what if Paul is actually deliberately saying here, yeah, Jesus ascended after the resurrection, but don't forget that he has also since then descended back into our world through his spirit. And it was such an interesting idea to me that I just desperately wanted to share it briefly in the podcast. Um, I don't have anything further to say to it other than it, it just jumped out at me as a really cool thing that I think is worth remembering. That's, that's yeah, that's fascinating. I, I, I wouldn't have um, have seen that myself, I don't think. I, I just, I noticed that um, it, it's a quote from Psalms. Yes. The ascended thing. Um, we don't really have time to kind of go through and look into that, but it's got me interested. Yeah. Now. So that's a quote from Psalm 68. So I guess anyone listening who wants to go and have a bit more of a look at it should should find uh, Psalm 68 and just see 
um, what sort of tone is being used there. I, I gather from a brief comment that I read um, just in preparation for this recording that I think it's sort of in the context of describing military victory, um, ascended to the heights and leading a crowd of captives and giving gifts to his people. That's that's this this sentence quoted here in Ephesians 4. So mm. yeah, we we probably need to wrap it up. And so we'll leave that one as homework. Um, I have thought a couple of new thoughts about this chapter myself over the period of doing this recording. So uh, I hope that those new thoughts have been um, the truth spoken in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, rather than being um, tricks with lives, lies so clever they sound like the truth. Um, regardless of what you think they may have been, you're very welcome to send us an email, sabbathschoolfromhome at gmail.com. If you've got comments, if you would like to, um, yeah, add, add any interesting thoughts you might have had into this conversation, uh, you're very welcome to. And we look forward to you joining us next week.